And this afternoon for our scriptures, if you turn with me please to Luke chapter 13. We'll look at the first nine verses of this chapter. Luke chapter 13. And I'll read the entire chapter. There were present at that season some who told him, that is Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for these three years I have come seeking fruits on this tree, on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, and if not, after that you can cut it down. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he lay his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things which were done by him. And then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, 
Lord, Lord, open for us. And he, will, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first. And there are first who will be last. On that very day, some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This far, our scripture reading. Dear congregation, our focus this afternoon will be on the first nine verses here of Luke chapter 13. And this morning we looked at the last section of Luke chapter 12, and there we saw the need emphasized to be reconciled with God, to be at peace with God. Because on every side of us in this world, we are faced with that reality of death. There there is sickness and and destruction all around us, and it's on the minds of people day and night. And here in chapter 13, it seems like the message that the Lord Jesus was teaching strikes home with these people. But it also seems like they were still trying to avoid the reality of it for themselves. They were still trying to keep it at arm's length from themselves. And we also see all around us, both young people and old people, a passing away, taken out of this world. But how does it really affect us individually? Does it really hit home with us? Oh, because it seems like we, we always try to keep it at an arm's length from us. We don't think that it will happen to us yet. And so here Jesus really makes clear that we need to have peace with God. And he uses here the illustration of a fig tree to teach us lessons on on repentance. Repentance that we need to bring us to peace with God. And so we see, as we'll have as our theme this afternoon, uh, lessons on repentance from a barren fig tree. And the first thing that Jesus shows us is really the urgency to repent. The urgency to repent by 
because we see the sudden death of those around us. See, the Jews here in this chapter had asked about some other Galileans who had been killed by the Romans while they were offering their sacrifices or bringing their sacrifices to the temple. And it appears that the Romans even sprinkled or mingled their blood, it says, on the altar with the blood of the animals. You can see some of the brutality that these Roman soldiers were known for. And so these Jews are wondering if they would be safe from, from such calamities. Would it really happen to us too? And so Jesus says in verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? See, the Jews were known to believe that certain sicknesses were a result of sin or or sudden death could be a result of of certain sins as as a punishment. But we also could have that type of mindset. And maybe we think, well, God won't punish me even though I know I'm doing wrong because I'm going to church. He'll overlook this sin, won't he, in my life? Or we think, well, we're not as bad as those people. We're living better in our own terms. Or we can think like these Jews and, and, and say that if, if we see an accident happen and we think, well, he must have been a sinner. He must have done something wrong. Well, in, in Scripture, there are certain instances, certainly instances where God did punish sinners immediately. You can think of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 where they lied to the Holy Spirit about how much money they were bringing and the Lord struck them down immediately. You, think, you can think of Uzzah as he reached out his hand to steady the ark on the cart because it was ready to slide off, and the Lord killed him immediately. They were punished immediately, but in reality, all sin deserves punishment. And, and Paul says in Romans 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he says that the wages of sin is death, and that is eternal death. We all deserve death. And so Jesus says in verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So instead of telling these Jews not to worry, that that something like that won't happen to them, he tells them to repent. Otherwise, a similar thing will happen to them. And then he tells another story, another example in verse 4. He says, or those 18 on who the Tower of Siloam fell and killed. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? He says in verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We know that if a a tower collapses, it usually happens quite quickly, and there's there's real no, no time to escape, no time then to turn to God. And the point Jesus is making is that everyone needs to be prepared now. Because we don't know when such a sudden end will come. And so here we see that there's an urgency to repent because we're not guaranteed that we will have a tomorrow. But then Jesus goes on and in verse 6 he gives another parable to explain the same thing. In verse 6 he says, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, 
For three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? So he's using a very common example for them in that day. They had, they had a fig tree. But this is a picture of, of God as the owner of this vineyard. And in the Old Testament, the, the vineyard represents the nation of Israel. The covenant people of God that he has planted in his vineyard. And he comes looking for fruit at his, with his people. Fruit to see how they are living to God. And so what he's saying in this parable here is that here is a fig tree. It's planted in his vineyard. It's planted in the best possible soil. It's planted in the best possible conditions. And it receives the best possible care. Everything is just right for this tree to, make it, to help it bear fruit. And so he comes looking after three years. After a time when this tree should be well established, when it should be mature and it should be producing fruit. But when he looks, he doesn't see any fruit. And so this owner of the vineyard, he says, cut it down. Why is it using up this valuable soil? He says, replace it with a better tree. And now I want to ask myself, as well as you, how long have we been in church? Not today, but I mean in our life. We've been planted in fertile soil. We have the protection of God around us and in our families. We hear the preaching of the gospel every week. We have the Bibles in our homes. We learn from the catechism lessons. You are in God's vineyard. And now tell me, what more could God have done for you? We know that many Christians have flourished in these environments and even in much less. And now the Lord comes and he looks into our life looking for fruit. What will he find? Is there fruit in your life today, young people, children? Is there fruit in your life do you know of the forgiveness of your sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you live a life holy to the Lord? Does your life give glory to God, your Maker and your Savior? Are you dedicated to Him in your life? Are you dedicated to His church and to His service and His purpose in this world? Does he find in your heart a love for him, a love for the Lord Jesus, a love for God? Does he see in there a desire to know him more, to, to know who he is and what he has done, who he is as he's revealed in his word and in his work and in his persons and in all his offices? Do you, do you, do you need him? As he is for the satisfaction of your soul? Or does he find an empty tree? 
a tree with no fruit, and instead just rottenness, maybe an empty profession of religion, many branches, no fruit? Does he find instead a love for your sin? Does he find, children, in your heart a rebellion against your parents? Does he find young children or young people in your hearts a love for money, pleasures of this world? But does he find nothing for God's glory? These Jews thought they were better than other people, clean on the outside. And they think, oh, God won't let this tower fall on me. But Jesus is also showing that whether we live in an open sin or just an outwardly religious life, the only way to be saved is through him. And children, what fruit is God really looking for in your life? What fruit is God looking for here? Well, the first fruits are the fruits of repentance. Fruits of repentance. And if there is no fruit of repentance, cut it down. Why is it using up the soil? It's wasting the ground not profitable for his kingdom. So we can see, children, here that the cutting down of the fig tree is the same lesson as a tower suddenly falling down and killing those 18 people. He says, the end will come suddenly. They can come to young or to old. And so Jesus' message here is, Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. But God also at the same time shows his divine patience. Because now he's still giving you the opportunity to repent. That's what we see here in the second place. Jesus showing that we still have the opportunity to repent. Because of God's long-suffering patience. Verse 8, we see, but he answered to him, the keeper of the garden here answers, and he says, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. You can imagine the keeper of the vineyard has put so much work into this this tree for these three years and he says, don't cut it down yet. Don't cut it down. I'll try one more time. I'll dig around this tree. I'll I'll loosen up that soil. I'll break break up those hard lumps. I'll water it better. I'll fertilize it. But if that doesn't work, then next year we can cut it off. So here we see the picture of the gospel, children where the Holy Spirit is sent down to dig around a tree of your life and to fertilize it, to give you one more chance, to give you another chance, just a little more patience, Lord, just one more year. But you know that digging around a tree 
can be very unsettling. It, it loosens up all that soil, and for a while it, it can affect that tree. And there's many circumstances in our life today and in our world, our nations, that are unsettling. But what it does is it opens up the pores in the soil of your hearts so that we become more receptive to the word of God and the gospel. The afflictions in our life serve to open up our hearts to be receptive to the gospel because it makes us see the reality of our sin and our shortcomings. It's often in times of disaster where people start seeking God when they're more open to hearing the gospel. It's when our hearts are most tender after losing a loved one and more tender after much destruction in this world when we see how quickly things end that we more carefully consider our own hearts and what God is saying in His Word. See, when the Holy Spirit comes and works in our life in whatever way that is and He he shows us and He convicts us of some of our sins. He begins to show us that our branches are empty. No fruit to God. And maybe you've done this too. You say, Lord, give me another chance. I will try harder. I will straighten out my life because I'm afraid to be cut down. I know I'm not ready. I will stop these sins. But you know that that, even that will not produce good fruit to God. That's trying to hang on fruits from the outside. Make them balance on your branches. But real fruit needs to grow from the inside. From the sap that works up from the heart into the branches. And do you know why today, why God still bears patiently with us, with you, with this world? Do you know why God still bears patiently with unfruitful sinners? Because of Christ, the keeper of his vineyard, who intercedes for his people, who intercedes for sinners like you and me. And this is where we notice that it's Jesus who says, Lord, have a little patience with this unfruitful tree. I will work at this tree another year. Is that what the Lord is doing for you today? Is he saying, Lord, have a little patience with this one. Give him another year. You see, it's not the tree. It's the keeper. It's the keeper who is working. What did Christ do? We heard that this morning too. Christ needed to be cut down instead of unfruitful sinners. Christ was cast out like a dead tree, even though he was the most fruitful tree that ever lived. And Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, that God has made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Or he says in Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were unfruitful trees, not bearing fruit to God, while we did not even have any power to produce fruit to God, 
Christ came and died for the ungodly. So Christ was cut down to pay for our sin. So that now sinners can remain standing and receive that digging, that fertilizing work of the Holy Spirit through his gospel. He did that to give you the chance, the time to be reconciled to God so that you can still find peace with God. Give him a little more time so that you can find peace, so that you, by his grace and spirit, will begin to produce fruit to him in the future. And what the gospel is saying here, what it's telling us to do here, is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation, because he is the keeper who digs around your soul to give you life by his Holy Spirit. Because then alone, when he gives you that Holy Spirit, you begin to bear fruit from the inside out, when he renews a new heart in you. God is patient with you because Jesus Christ has come into this world to seek and to save lost sinners like you and me. What circumstances are aerating your life today? What circumstances is he using to loosen the soils around your heart and to fertilize your tree? Because that's also why you're here today. God is still patient with you, still giving you an opportunity to repent and to believe, to confess, Lord, I cannot bear fruit except thou give me the Holy Spirit and that we rest in that finished work of Jesus Christ, confessing that he alone is able to save sinners, that he alone has finished everything required of God, that he alone is the repairer of the breach. Romans 2, verse 3 says, Or do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches and the goodness and the forbearance and the long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It's that, isn't it? The patience of God, the goodness, the long-suffering kindness of God that leads us to him, that leads us to repentance. God is patient because, with this world because Christ is still tending the barren trees. He still has a people to save in this world. And he's still giving you the opportunity to repent. But he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so the only thing that will prevent us from eventually being cutting down and perishing eternally is the fruit of true repentance. And that's our last thought, the motivation to repent. The motivation is there because that's the only remedy. In order to make peace with God, we must repent. John the Baptist said in Luke 3, 
Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And then he goes on to say, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, which does not bring forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says that axe is there. It's ready. It's ready to come down. And that fire is that everlasting fire of hell. It's an everlasting burning where there will never be a way out. Because there's no repentance possible in hell. There's no grace available in hell. There's no gospel in hell. There may still be the words ringing in your ears that you've heard in the church and in your homes. But there will be no turning back. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of grace. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. So Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That as though God were pleading through us. And he says, we implore you, be reconciled with God today. If you do not have peace with God, he said, this is the way to repent and turn to him and live. Here he says Christ was cut down so that you can live. Here he says Christ came to this world to provide what is needed to show you your sins and to show you the way of salvation. And today Christ still intercedes for sinners. He is still the keeper of the vineyard who says to, says to his Lord, give this one, give that one one more year. Do not cut him down yet. I will bring him the gospel one more time. I will shake him up a little more. I will dig around him again. Are you forgiven? Are your sins forgiven? Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn from your sins. That's what repentance means. Children, that's what repentance means, to turn from your sins. And Thomas Watson, he explains it nicely in using six words. First, we have a sight of sin. We see what our sin is. We see that we are sinning against God. God's word shows us what our sin is. Then secondly, we, we have a sorrow for our sins. It makes us grieve because we know that we sin against God. But then thirdly, we confess our sins to God. We say to God, here are my sins. I see that I am sinning against thee. Then fourthly, we have shame for our sin. We are ashamed of what we have done. We're ashamed that we do not bear fruit to God. And that makes us hate sin, fifthly. That gives us a hatred in our heart for sin. And that causes us, sixthly, to turn from sin. To turn away from all the sin that we know is in our heart. Is there lying? Is there stealing? Is there, is there f- false accusations? Is there adulterous thoughts? Is there rebellion? Is there disobedience to our parents? What, what sins is God showing you in your life? Do you hate them? Do you see them? Do you turn from them? Do you, do you put them away? That is repentance. 
and children. You, as well as elderly, all need to turn away from your sins and run to God, turn to God. You must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the keeper, because he alone can give you new life. And that is what God looks for, and that is what God demands of us. Because if we don't, if we do not repent, we are making a decision to remain unfruitful. And that is rebellion and defiance against God, your maker. It's a bold statement that you don't want Christ to work in your life or to reign and rule in your life. It's saying that you would rather continue in your sin and in your rebellion against God. And then there's no turning away from your sin because you want to walk in that sin. That's the division we heard this morning. Then you you want to walk on the wrong side. Do not continue living where you are if you have not turned to Christ. But maybe God sees that desire in your heart. Maybe He sees that bud growing on your branches, that repentance that is growing. It can come, start small, it can come in different ways or times, but the elements are there. We need the Holy Spirit to examine us, to see if these fruits are budding. Seek the Lord, because it's the Holy Spirit who gives that new life, to give that repentance. Even repentance is a gift of God. Even repentance is the, the fruit of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And so you must seek Him for this. And if God, does God see that in your heart? that you desire to live for Him, that you desire to turn away from your sin, that it grieves you that you sin against God. Children, God does not despise those who, who come to Him. But He says He hears the needy when they cry, that His eyes are even going back and forth in this world, seeing those who trust Him to help them. You know, it's not, it's not enough just to come to church on Sunday But this must be our whole life, every day of the week. This must be our spiritual battle every moment of our life to turn away from sin and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here the Lord Jesus is calling all people everywhere to repent. And it's not just for the first time, but it's for his people continually that when we see our sin, to turn, to confess, and to come to God in faith continually. But Christ not only calls individuals to repent, he calls his church to repent. In Revelation 2, Christ calls the church to repent from falling away, from backsliding. And he says there, remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And again here, how many years have we had the lampstand of God's Word in our midst? How many years has God given us so many blessings? You've been planted in God's vineyard. 
Is there fruit among us? Or are we sliding back? Oh, he says here, remember where from where you have fallen and repent. Let us repent of any known sins or backslidings that we can find in our hearts and lives lest God removes his word from us. Where is our love? Where is our zeal? Where is our earnestness for God? Have we become just lukewarm and stale in our life? Let us seek and search our hearts. But then Christ also calls to the church to repent from allowing sin into the church. Revelation 2.16 says, In that context, repent or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Is there something we've allowed to drift into our homes and into our churches that displeases God? Let us search the scriptures together to see if we are walking a life of godliness with God, to live a holy life before God. And let us repent if we find sin. But Christ calls the church to repent of prayerlessness and worldliness. Because God says in the Old Testament, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal the land. Where are we looking for help? Are we looking to government or solutions in this world? He makes clear that things will not get better that way. But God says, turn to Him. Because we need, jo- we, need, we need God. And so let us join then together in corporate prayer. We need you at the prayer meetings. We need you at the Bible studies. We need you in the worship services. We need to unite day after day at the throne of God's grace. Do we do that in our homes? Do we do that here? Do we do that at our meetings in the week? Oh, let us seek to heed God's call in whatever way we find in His Word so that we may bear fruit to His glory individually and as a congregation. Amen.